WOVU 95.9 FM and Jumpstart is celebrating Black History Month, bringing you conversations to connect our history and experiences to the entrepreneurship journey. Jumpstart is an organization of diverse entrepreneurs, investors, and business experts who believe entrepreneurs can transform lives and communities. Let's jump right into it with our friend Ron Stubblefield from Jumpstart. Good day, WOVU audience. Um, thank you for joining us on another segment on discussing about Black entrepreneurship here during Black History Month. And so far, let's recap the conversations we've had. We've had one conversation about the role of civil rights and entrepreneurship. We've had one conversation about national best practices to support entrepreneurs. We've had one amazing conversation about local initiatives to support entrepreneurs. But what if we've not had a conversation with actual entrepreneurs. And joining me today are three amazing individuals um, who I will give a, and tell you are, and then ask each of them to introduce themselves. The first is Mr. Daryl McNair, and I'd like for him to take a moment to introduce himself, and then we'll move on to our other two esteemed guests. Good morning, Ron, and thank you for the, uh, for the invitation and the opportunity to share my entrepreneurial uh, uh, roadmap here. Uh, again, my name is Daryl McNair. I'm president and CEO of the MVP Group of Companies. Underneath the MVP Group of Companies, you have uh, three separate entities. You have a MVP Plastics, which is a plastic injection molding company. You have MVP Design and Engineering, which is a mechanical design engineering firm. And you have All Foam Products, which is a rubber and foam fabricator and distribution company. Uh, we're located uh, with physical facilities in Ohio, in Texas, in Michigan, in Illinois, with employees also in Florida as well. So we're kind of branched out all around the country, uh, been in business since 2000, um, at least doing the plastics piece. And the design and engineering and the all foam piece came on in 2016 and 2018, respectively. So. That's my story. Um, it's a long journey, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And we certainly will. All right. Our next guest, I mean, helped me change my personal fitness game. I thought I was good until um, <laughs> I got introduced to her. All right. So, Andre Maximo, please introduce yourself. Hey, everyone. Um, thanks, Ron. Thanks for inviting me here today. My name's Andre Maximo, and I'm the co owner of Groove Ride. Groove Ride is a Micro gym is what we're calling it now. Uh, formerly, we used to say boutique fitness, but it is a micro gym that offers several styles of fitness for the community. And um, we really pride ourselves on our methodology being we are fitness with soul. So we create transformation from the inside out, really taking care of the mind first, making sure our guest feel taken care of, they feel seen, that they feel connected to a community. And then from there, we know all those feel good vibes will carry on throughout their day. It inspires them to want to come back, work harder. So that's our that's our secret sauce, basically. But yeah, we have two locations now in Woodmere and one in the Van Aken district. And we have been around for five years now. All right. Thank you so much. And the beautiful thing about their secret sauce, they can confidently talk, talk about it because it can't be replicated. <laughs> All right. And last but certainly not least, you know, my Morehouse brother, Raza San, who was a Inc. 30 under 30 founder for his business. And he can tell his story and his business better than I can. So, Raz, introduce yourself. Peace, everybody. Hey, how's it going, Ron, Daryl and Andrew? Uh, certainly glad to be amongst you all. I want to, um, you know, just a little bit about me is that I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, my friends and I, we jumped directly into entrepreneurship after graduating from Morehouse College back in 2014. And through that experience of being in the startup space as a one first time entrepreneur, um, second being, you know, young, third being black entrepreneur, certainly ran into a lot of challenges and, and had some great experiences with that. But it ultimately led us to found Bro Capital which is the world's first cooperatively owned and operated financial technology company specifically designed to increase the financial health of black men and ultimately increase the financial health of black families all throughout the diaspora. So we 
have a uh, ultimately we aggregate our member savings and aggregate all of the capital, right? Not just financial capital, but aggregate uh, all eight forms of capital and seek to improve their lives. So we've been having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we've won some some grants recently and, you know, got a lot of cool things in the work. So I'm certain we'll get into that today. All right, wonderful. So I want us to take a step back because everybody, when they see entrepreneurs, we always go, oh my God, look at these success stories. And we're all wonderful success stories, but people don't always see the um, journeys to success. And so I'd like everybody to talk through their journeys a little more. And I'd like to start with Daryl. Well, let's use, a, uh, let's use an analogy when we talk about the journey because entrepreneurship is truly, truly a journey. Um, Ajwa, you might be able to relate to this. I was on the um, exercise bike the other day, and, you know, they've got these uh, these programs, right, that you can uh, push a button, and you can push a button for the for the, for the mountain climb or the hill climb, it's a steady climb, you know, going up, resistance getting higher, and you have a cardio button, and, you know, you've got different loads. But the one that struck me as I was thinking about this was the, uh, the intermittent um, intervals, that um, program on there. And that's an up and down exercise that you go through. And that really does, in my opinion, illustrate what true entrepreneurship is all about. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. And you just hope at the end of the day that that uh, up and down is on a steady incline, but not not necessarily steep. You know, you want to be on that stock market curve, right? That um, that goes up over time. But uh, but good entrepreneurs true entrepreneurs have never really realized success without having some level of failure in the, uh, in the process there. And it's that ability to, to learn from those failures. As I like to say, every experience is a learning experience, whether good or bad. So you take it, you formulate it, you ask yourself, okay, if I had to do it over again, what, what would I do different? And you apply it. You know, one of the great things about business, business is business. You know, we all three are in, um, in business, but there are certain principles that guide us that, uh, uh, that cross all business lines and whatnot. So uh, we take those experiences, like I said, good and bad. We take corporate experiences. I've had two corporate stints in my life, one at IBM and one at Ford Motor Company. I've learned and gained from that and employ those basic principles into what it takes to be an entrepreneur. But more than anything, it takes perseverance, it takes determination. It takes commitment. It takes heart. It takes a uh, it takes a support group uh, to get you through some of those down periods that you go through. Uh, I like to tell you, you know, you never really know what it's like until you until your back's against the wall and it's time to make payroll. And you know, and the and the money and the money is not there. Um, I will attribute a lot of my discipline in life. I was a wrestler in school. I was a wrestler. Um, collegially scholarship athlete in school. So, uh, so that commitment, that dedication to, to always pushing forward and push it through uh, lives today in my, um, in my, in my business life. So um, again, I'll go to the analogy of the bicycle, the intermittent program schedule there. And uh, that's how I, I equate uh, uh, in parallel entrepreneurialism. Mm. That's one hell of an analogy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to ask our fitness guru here um, to talk about um her journey, because I feel it's only appropriate. Okay, so I'm going to build off of Daryl, because if it's an intermittent ride, then we're going to throw in that there's a metaphorical twist and turn on that ride as well. So we definitely have experienced the up, the down. And I say we, meaning my husband and I, because that's who I started this company with. He is my co-owner and my co-pilot for sure. And I think that has been a blessing in itself because it's one thing to be relating to another entrepreneur who's also in a storm, but not necessarily the same storm that you're in. But when you have that person who's literally in the same storm with you, it's nice to have that, that co-pilot, that co-captain with you. So um, we've done the up and down. We've done the up and down, but there's also been so many twists and turns you know, so many um, plot twists that we didn't anticipate, even though we did all of our studying. You know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs who just had a great idea and they got up one morning and they went out and they just opened up their doors. And then they're kind of working backwards now, trying to figure it all out. We thought we did all of our due diligence up front. We did all of our research. We sat down with all the meetings that we could with people who were existing in their business and doing well. And none of it, none of it, I mean, 
it helped, but it still didn't prepare us for a lot of the things that, you know, we just didn't know what were going to happen. Um, you know, landlords that don't want to cooperate with you, um, you know, tenants that want to kick you out because you louder than they thought you were going to be. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? All kinds of things that you're like, wait a minute. Uh, you, that wasn't in the Google Doc I read, or that wasn't in the, you know, <laughs> that wasn't in the book about angry tenants rattling their walls. So, you know, when you're faced with all these things, um, it really is about, you know, I think a lot of people can be successful and have fun and be great at being successful. It's who you are, though, in those moments, though, when, you know, like Daryl said, payroll is tight or, you know, you've got a. Uh, a major player leaving your team because they got to move away. And you know, that's going to cost possibly by losing clients. I mean, there's so many things in there that challenge you to who you're going to be in those moments. And that to me has been the biggest learning on our journey is who we were. And as one of our teammates once said, you guys make chaos fun. And I thought that was great, but I got what she meant was that it's how we handle it. And we stay solution focused and we stay pivoting constantly. Um, and understanding that that's just the nature of it and not to get attached to things as long as the heart of what we're doing stays there, everything else, just be ready for it to evolve. And that's been the journey for us. Now, Roz, I know you have a slightly different way your journey started. Yep. Andrew's cases, it was, all right, we were doing something and then said, ta-da, but after working a while, your story is, I graduate school, I'm ready to go do something. So I want to give that perspective as part of the conversation. Certainly. I, I appreciate that, Ali. You, so I, as I was going to mention, building off of what Daryl and Andrew said, that um, for us, right, coming out of college, I studied sociology in college. And, and anybody who knows sociology is a very interdisciplinary area, area of study, right? Because you have economics in there, anthropology, there's some psychology in there. Um, and then, of course, right, all of the stats that go along with that. So, you know, I didn't realize until I actually jumped into entrepreneurship how much sociology, you know, studying it formally, right, in an academic setting had prepared me for entrepreneurship to be able to understand different customer segments, understanding consumer behavior, understanding different groups of people, and all of those things kind of put it together for me and actually gave us um, a unique advantage when it came to entrepreneurship, but also as Andrew just mentioned, us, you know, coming fresh out of college, we were already in let's learn mode, right? And I think that is a sign of great entrepreneurs and great business people is that they're staying in a mode of, you know, let me learn, let me find out where the insight's at, right? And then, of course, as Steve Wozniak said that, you know, once you take in these insights, being ready and willing to pivot or ready and willing to clear the entire table and say, oh, we got it all wrong let's start from the beginning, right? So us coming in, we were young, we were, you know, scrappy. And, you know, we just had a lot of zeal and, you know, we were excited for the challenges that came our way. Um, but I also think, right, going back to the analogy of, you know, the bike ride, bringing in the fitness elements of it, um, I guess that would be the esoteric analogy. But exoterically, I think a lot of entrepreneurs downplay how important it is to take care of yourself, right? Just as we talk about entrepreneurship, it's very interdisciplinary, um, similar to sociology. Whereas, you know, as an entrepreneur, if your body isn't right, if your mind isn't right, if your spirit isn't right, that is going to affect your ability to do the work. So, um, you know, just wanted to toss that in there as well, that that's also something that I found out a little bit later on, right? Because, you know, you've got a lot of sleepless nights, all-nighters, having these happy hour meetings right there's a lot of stress going on and if you're not uh cognizant of how these things can ultimately affect you compounding over time um you eventually run into that brick wall so yeah yeah entrepreneurship is certainly something that's not for the faint of heart it's definitely something to where you know it is a unique skill set that comes about and i think a lot of people often conflate you know success in corporate america with success as an entrepreneur where there's some overlap there but there's a completely and entirely different skill set that's also important for entrepreneurs to possess stay tuned we'll be back with more from our friends at jumpstart celebrating black history month on wovu 95.9 fm
Hi, this is Joy Johnson, Executive Director of Burton Bell Car Development, also referred to as BBC. When you hear BBC, you may think of the British Broadcasting Company. We are actually named for three community leaders who served the Central and Kinsman neighborhoods in the past, Lonnie Burton, James Bell, and Charles V. Carr. Residents of the Central and Kinsman neighborhoods may be familiar with those names because we have the Lonnie Burton Recreation Center, we have Charles Carr Avenue in Garden Valley, we have the James Bell Pool on East 71st Street in Central. Many of our residents were alive when those three leaders served the community. Folks outside of the community sometimes think we're a law firm, a CPA, or that Burton, Bell, or Carr are people who work here and founded the organization. They were all deceased when Burton Bell Carr was founded in 1990, and the organization was named to honor their contributions to the neighborhoods. So now you know who we are, Burton Bell Carr Development. Welcome back to Jumpstart's Black History Month Conversations here on WOVU 95.9 FM. Let's join our friends from Jumpstart and Ron Stubblefield, our host. Pivoting from your previous careers and being, building off from Ross's point, what were some of the things that you realized this is what corporate America didn't quite prepare me for as you began your journeys? You know, if you, uh, I'm going to uh, jump back what what Ross um, talked about, you know, um, you know, jumping right out of school into entrepreneurship. Uh, that was actually a challenge for me, quite honestly. Um, you know, when you're in school, when you're learning in school, they're teaching you how to lead. They're teaching you how to, you know, um, run things, how to make decisions and whatnot. And when you graduate from school and you go into corporate America, I mean, you know, you're, you're one step above the, um, the, you know, the custodian, right? And, um, you know, you're just trying to figure out and it's, it's, it's challenging. And, and back in the day, I'm a little, probably a little bit older than, uh, than my, my two, uh, friends here on the phone, but, uh, back in the day, there were very few, uh, folks that looked like me in senior positions. And quite honestly, that's what actually drove me away from corporate America because my first job out of undergrad was with IBM. Um, this was back in the eighties and, uh, you know, I, I just didn't like what I saw at the top. Okay. Um, and I, and I felt that those four years I put in an undergrad weren't really put being put to use in this new, in this corporate environment. You know, I felt I was being stymied. I feel like, you know, uh, I don't want to say I was a racehorse and I don't say I was ready for entrepreneur, but I, but I thought I was ready for more than what corporate America was providing me, uh, at that time there. And, uh, and that's really, that's when I first started my first business was, uh, within a year, uh, of leaving IBM uh, or graduating and working with IBM, I, I couldn't take it. You know, I just didn't like what I saw, didn't like the work that I was doing. And uh, and at that point, I think I knew that entrepreneurship was going to be my uh, ultimate journey and path. Um, but it, through that through that process, I knew that I was going to have to uh, to learn, and that's what I did throughout the uh, throughout my journey there. So, uh, just wanted to just add on the rise. Just kind of agree wholeheartedly um, with that. And there's something about jumping right out of undergrad into your business there. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't come from corporate America. I I was an actor for a long time. I was, um, uh, then I got into fitness and then I actually managed the Lululemon store here in Cleveland mm. and started with them in LA. And they really actually prepared me a great deal for entrepreneurship because how they train us is to run the stores as if they were our personal storefront. So we really are empowered to make a lot of decisions um, that I think most retail stores may not actually empower their managers to do so. So even though they sell outrageously expensive yoga pants, they really are more about leadership development than people realize. So I took all of that and I think it prepared me a great deal for setting up so that by the time we got to like jumpstart, you know, we already had so many of these things in place because of the training that I came from. Um, but even still, there's still the things, the basic things that, you know, dealing with banks, trying to get loans, things like that, that I was not prepared for. You know, my husband still, as much research as we did, we still were not prepared to hear no or to hear, um, you know, 
that uh, we might have spent too much and, you know, we had to have spent less, all these different things that we learned. But, you know, to, to Ross's point before, too, there's stuff that you can prepare for and then you can try and help another entrepreneur see ahead of time, but you kind of have to let them go through it just because you know they're going to do it anyway. So I can tell entrepreneurs so they're blue in the face that you need to sleep, you need to rest. But I know that I didn't do that. And I was in the fitness Mm -hmm. and wellness industry because I had Mm -hmm. a business to run. So it's like a brand new baby. You're not going to sleep well sometimes. You Mm -hmm. are going to have to push it. You are going to have to go all the way um, on certain nights. And then you will learn, you will learn when to go hard, when to pull back, when to rest, um, and when it's necessary to turn it up, you know, and it's just part of it. So there's so much you can prepare people for. And then some of it, they just have to experience and come to themselves. You know, and it's really great you mentioned that because I remember talking with another entrepreneur who has been serial entrepreneur. He went, each business is different. It's like a different child. And the things that work for me, knowing how I can push and go on one child was not the same for the next three. And so you're constantly going to have to relearn that ebb and flow, which becomes on the one hand, you're going, I wish I could automate this. On the other hand, you go, I get to keep learning. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. If I, if I may, Ron, um, yeah, certainly. J- just for, you know, clarity's sake, like the, the first business that we were working on fresh out of college, we actually had to pivot from that business. So that isn't, so Bro Capital wasn't the first business that we worked on. Bro Capital actually was born out of that challenging experience. And so, like you say, all of the, you know, the learning that went into that and us, you know, it's so interesting because it's shout out to Black History Month. We often talk about how these, uh, how Harriet Tubman was, was, you know, such a strong woman and she was able to do this. She was able to do that. But in those very microcosmic moments of waking up on that cold day, you know, in some random wilderness somewhere, right? And having those tight feelings in your chest and really going into the day-to-day of how you actually feel as a person and how these things ultimately take a toll on your body and ultimately take a toll just on your existence. It's, It's quite interesting that, you know, entrepreneurship is glamorized in the way that it is right now. Uh, but understanding that it's, it's so much more to it. Elon Musk was on Clubhouse the other night and I believe someone asked him, um, you know, what what encouraging words do you have for, you know, people who want to be entrepreneurs? And Elon said, if you need encouragement, entrepreneurship ain't for you, <laughs> essentially. So it's like, you know, as much as um, we we like to tout entrepreneurship, it, it definitely isn't easy. And it is something that ultimately is worth it, like, right? Like most things in life that are, it's worth it, right? They're difficult, but it is, it, entrepreneurship certainly is not for everyone. Right. No, certainly true. And on that, that leads to actually where my next question is going. Because I had an entrepreneur the other day, well, aspiring entrepreneur going, what business should I start? And I often go, all righty, if we've got to have this conversation, let's talk about some reflection about what things are more proximate to you, what things really mean something to you. And so for, like in any order, what inspired you for the particular businesses that each of you actually went into? It wasn't here yet. Like what we wanted, the kind of spot we wanted to go to um, Mm -hmm. for fitness. That's basically what it was. And then, you know, I always had it in my head that I was going to start a studio. Initially it was just for women because that was my passion was working with women in particular in their movement and getting them comfortable in their bodies. But my husband, when he started getting into it, he was like, well, what, what can I do? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you can't work in my space. So he was like, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to create an idea too. So we kind of melded our ideas together. But it really was because, you know, there were a lot of great studios here in Cleveland, but none of them quite captured all the things we wanted in one spot. It was this, and you had to go over here for that and go over there for this. So I'm like, no, I want everything in one spot. And then you just have to do one-stop shop. And that was what inspired it, what wasn't here. Great. All right, Daryl. Yeah, you know, people start businesses for different reasons, you know. And um, I'm not I'm not sure there's, there's, a, there's a right or a wrong way for starting business. I used to tell folks, I'll sell bubble gum if somebody buys it. Okay. Um, so it's, 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 you know, you're servicing a need, you know, sort of what, uh, uh, Ajwa was talking about, you know, she saw a need out there 
to service a market that was being unmet. And that's, you know, that's what they teach you in school, you know, find a niche, find a, uh, uh, an avenue to, to, to travel. For me, uh, you know, there, there, there wasn't necessarily a passion. I did ultimately grow a passion for autos, okay? Um, and that's why my business, my manufacturing business um, is in the automotive supply chain. Um, working for Ford for eight years kind of grew that in me, and um, and I and I and I just fell in love with the with the whole auto automotive process, whether it's building cars, selling cars, manufacturing, and so forth. So that often became a, a passion. But again, um, but plastics was not my passion. Okay, which is what I've been doing for the last twenty years. But I do it. I understand it. I learn it. Um, to me, what drives me. It's really more the challenge, um, and again, I think it goes back to uh, to my early days in, in, in wrestling. You know, can I can I win? Can I beat this guy that's maybe a little bit bigger than me, a little bit stronger than me? Um, that's that's what drives me. Uh, the idea that somebody says that I can't do something, and let me prove that I can do it. Um, so you know, again, that was really more my journey. But again, I think my journey at the end of the day, and really what drove me, wasn't a product or necessarily a service. What really drove me was the desire to uh, to have my own business. It was my desire to provide opportunities for others, employees, their families, uh, continue to allow them to uh, trust in me that I'm making the right decisions. That's actually really what drives me. It's not the products that I that I service. Okay, it's it's really more the challenge. Can I grow this business? Can I take it to the next level? Can I, you know, can I be the next Elon Musk? All right, you know, whatever whatever it is. That that's what drives me as an as an entrepreneur. All right, you heard it here first. Daryl McNair will be better than Elon Musk. So, um, Daryl, I definitely uh, ag- agree. Like you say, you know, just that, that question of what, what really drives me, what, what keeps me going and how did I even get into this business? Um, similar to you, Anjwa, that there was nothing out there for it, right? So initially I got into entrepreneurship, building an education technology company because I was fresh out of college my college friends. So the the opportunity to learn and to make some money was what really enticed me. Right. And I guess always having an entrepreneurial background, like, okay, but I think it really, for me, the common thread is the social enterprise um, lane that we've been in and really the impact and understanding that the work that we're doing, um, you know, just the, I, I always have enjoyed sales, right. I was the kid in school who, who sold candy. So I always got a rush from being able to sell but then when I'm able to couple that with, you know, truly making intergenerational impact, helping families avoid financial crises, whether that be around, you know, college scholarships, whether that be around, you know, um, having a down payment on their first home or something like that. But being a part of the solution for things like that and then also being able to support other entrepreneurs is something that was um, was quite interesting to me. So obviously my own story of, you know, looking for a way to support black entrepreneurs, um, but also just, you know, ways to study in sociology, right? I, I, especially, right, where Martin Luther King studied sociology too, right? So we are going over all of these social problems and world issues. And instead of just studying these things, you know, within the ivory tower, really wanting to develop and build sustainable solutions for these social problems, which ultimately are businesses. So that's really what drives me is, you know, um, that sociological background that wanted to make impact in the world. And then, you know, wanting to do good and do well at the same time. I'm like, and I really appreciate that because I think a lot of times, and we've all probably heard it, it's, can I be a business and can I be impactful? And people like to act like there's tension between the two. And you realize from all these examples here, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Like I'm creating jobs that allow people to take care of themselves, pursue their own dreams. I'm helping people get a cultural space where they can get fitness because health is wealth. You know, if your health is not right, everything else doesn't matter. And then how do you disrupt generational patterns and create people resources, tools, all these are beautiful things and you make money off of it. It allows you to help the next person out. I think these are all beautiful things and I just want our audience to recognize you can do both. And we got amazing people who found needs 
and did both. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more from our friends at Jumpstart celebrating Black History Month on WOVU 95.9 FM. Hey Cleveland, it's time for a little black history with your girl Pearl 2, The Lean. Did you know that before Black History Month was created, there was Negro History Week? Negro History Week was created in 1926 by American historian and educator Carter G. Woodson and the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. In 1969, black educators and students at Kent State University proposed Black History Month. Started in 1976, every U.S. president designated the month of February as Black History Month. And now you know. Stay tuned for more black history facts with your girl, Pearl 2, The Lead. Only on WOVU 95.9 FM, a Burton Bell Car community radio station. Welcome back to Jumpstart's Black History Month Conversations here on WOVU 95.9 FM. Let's join our friends from Jumpstart and Ron Stubblefield, our host. So we talked about pivots a little earlier, and we know COVID-19 has impacted a lot of people in terms of what does this mean for my business? What type of changes I want to do? But it's also highlighted some potential opportunities. Um, so I want to hear, just little, learn a little more from everybody about how has COVID helped them rethink the ways they're approaching their business going forward? Well, uh, for myself, Ron, pivoting was, uh, was necessary in 2020. You know, when, when, when COVID hit, um, you know, the world, the world changed, really. And, and it, um, you can look at it in two ways. One, um, or folks looked at it in two ways. One, hunker down, wait it out or two, figure out what you want to do and uh, challenge yourself to grow through it. Um, I took the opportunity to, and I always look at uh, crisis as an opportunity to grow and take and take advantage of the situation. So it's been a really a wonderful journey for us um, in 2020 because we pivoted. And um, initially, you know, being a manufacturing company, the things that we do, inherent core businesses, core skills that we have, we immediately pivoted into um, producing and supplying PPE equipment. So, um, you know, manufacturing, engineering, had the assets, had the tools, so we pivoted. And uh, we were fortunate enough to get some, uh, when supply was really tight, folks couldn't get anything. Uh, you know, the hospitals locally here, were all at our door here. We were able to supply them, meet, meet a demand for them. And it grew beyond that um, uh, things that we could manufacture in-house to things that we actually uh, could source for them. So, you know, I found ourselves in a whole different arena uh, for about, you know, four or five months in 2020. Now, I understood and I told my team that if we, as we pivoted here, because manufacturing shut down, if you recall, automotive plants for General Motors, Chrysler, all those folks shut down for two months, okay, two and a half months. So there was zero. Our plastics business supporting automotive went from, you know, 60 to zero literally overnight. So we, as in, in doing this pivot, um, I mean, we ended up selling more PPE during that period than we did plastics um, for the year. So we opened up new relationships, we opened up new clients, uh, but it also forced us to look at our customer base too, okay? Something I've always wanted to do. Automotive can be very all-consuming. I mean, the volumes are tremendous, the business is great, but it sort of locks out other industries that you might want to be able to participate in. So when that law came, we doubled down our initiatives to meet with other customers, uh, other industries and whatnot. And we're automotive at the beginning of uh, 2020 was close to, you know, 80% of our business. It's less than 50% of our business today because we've been able to do something I've long wanted to do, but never really had that opportunity to was to, deleverage ourselves from automotive and spread our risk amongst many other different industries from from medical to HVAC to consumer and industrial. And then, you know, I, I feel so much better. I actually, our business actually grew during 2020 um, in terms of our customer base, our platform, uh, which in my opinion will give us the, the, the proper launching pad um, as we move forward here, as we come on the uh, other side of this pandemic here. Well said. All right, Angela. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think very similar to Daryl, there was a lot of great things that happened for us and, and it was also really hard. There's a lot of and in it, you know, um, we lost over 65% of our revenue because I think, you know, anybody who's in a service direct industry as we are, that involves us having to have people around each other um, was going to feel that restaurants, everybody in the, in that capacity. So that was really difficult. What it actually allowed us to do though, was to take the time to create the platform, which was a digital platform that we had said we had wanted to do. We talked about it. You know, we always knew that there was some kind of future um, with Groove Ride and it possibly, you know, going to uh, a platform like a live stream situation. And this just kind of forced us to move a little quickly on it, um, which worked to our benefit and it, and it, it helped uh, our business a great deal. It also kept a lot of our guests connected to the studio, which was important to us because we recognize that fitness isn't a luxury. Um, you know, fitness is a necessity. Fitness is medicine to a lot of people. It's mental health to a lot of people. And at a time that was the most stressful with so much uncertainty, having that class to go to, having that familiarity of a teacher that, you know, even if it was a virtual situation, um, helped a lot of people. And that, that was important to us. So even if it wasn't necessarily going to flip our business financially, it, it helped support it. It helped pay a lot of our teachers and keep them, um, you know, financed uh, throughout this. But it also helped our guests first and foremost, which was big for us. And it made us feel as if we were in contribution in a situation where we kind of felt helpless. And this was a situation where it didn't matter. All of our usual things um, weren't going to help the fact that people just were not ready to come back into proximity with each other. That was just the facts. No matter how clean, hospital grade clean we were and we are, <laughs> <laughs> we just got an award for that. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> mm. um, you know, it, it didn't matter. And we had to respect that and understand that, you know. All right, Rob. <laughs> uh, man, so Bro Capital was founded as a remote organization, being cooperatively owned and operated and us having members all across the nation. We've been a remote team essentially since our inception, right? Where I was in Atlanta, Darius was in, I believe, Philly, and Brian was in Brooklyn at the time. You know, we've been leveraging uh, technology to bring everything together from Jump. And I think that's one of our, our core pieces. Um, so, you know, COVID came and it essentially really highlighted um, the issues that we were talking about in terms of financial insecurity, right? Where people didn't have savings, they, you know, they lost their jobs. Um, people didn't have networks that they could lean on to, you know, um, get jobs and sales services and really, you know, plug in into financial literacy. So, um, and then obviously how COVID-19 has also disproportionately affected black and brown communities specifically. So all of these things together, you know, pretty much elevated what we had been, you know, evangelizing since day one. And so, you know, during COVID-19, we've grown tremendously in the midst of it all. Our, our value has been highlighted for sure. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more from our friends at Jumpstart celebrating Black History Month on WOVU 95.9 FM. Hi, this is Joy Johnson, Executive Director of Burton Bell Car Development, also referred to as BBC. When you hear BBC, you may think of the British Broadcasting Company. We are actually named for three community leaders who served the Central and Kinsman neighborhoods in the past, Lonnie Burton, James Bell, and Charles V. Carr. Residents of the Central and Kinsman neighborhoods may be familiar with those names because we have the Lonnie Burton Recreation Center, we have Charles Carr Avenue in Garden Valley. We have the James Bell Pool on East 71st Street in Central. Many of our residents were alive when those three leaders served the community. Folks outside of the community sometimes think we're a law firm, a CPA, or that Burton, Bell, or Carr are people who work here and founded the organization. They were all deceased when 
and Burton Bell Carr was founded in 1990, and the organization was named to honor their contributions to the neighborhoods. So now you know who we are, Burton Bell Carr Development. Welcome back to Jumpstart's Black History Month Conversations here on WOVU 95.9 FM. Let's join our friends from Jumpstart and Ron Stubblefield, our host. So as we prepare to wind this energy down, I have about three big questions left. First one would be, we want to talk about what resources have helped you in your journeys, but also as a second part of that, what additional resources do you want to see here in Cleveland to help other entrepreneurs who are getting started in theirs? I'll, uh, I'll tackle that first. Um, you know, one of the biggest resources for me is, is in, uh, I want to talked about it a little bit earlier is, you know, having folks who've gone through the storm with you and I'll equate it to being, having a peer group. Um, I've got a peer, couple of peer groups that I'm involved with who understand the storm. Okay. Understand the challenge. Uh, and who some who've successfully navigated the challenge and um, and some who haven't. Right. So, like I said, every experience is a, is a learning experience. There is no true prescription. I can tell you back in 2009, really 2007, uh, when the financial crisis started, um, I had a private equity partner in my business at that time. And I've been wanting to buy them out because our, our vision, our journey was uh, was a little bit different. And, um, and I finally bought them out in 2008, and which couldn't have been the worst time, the wor- or more worst time in the world. Uh, financial markets were collapsing, the economy was collapsing, but I knew it was something I really had to do. And that's when I regained and uh, obtained 100% of my business at that time. But, and it allowed me to take the business in a direction that I felt that I wanted to go in and be for the long haul and not for the short run. So I, I, I say all that in, in that I didn't know how to do it back then. I really didn't. Okay. So I went out and uh, found resources. I went to my bank because uh, I was being challenged financially at that time. I went to my bank, told them, um, you know, I've got three customers that just went bankrupt on me and there's no money coming. And, but, you know, look, I've got a good business. And they actually referred me to some resources to, uh, to help guide me from a management standpoint on this is what you got to do. This is how we're going to do it. And, um, and again, I mean, I, w- I was stuck. I'm be honest, back in, I was just stuck. I didn't know what to do. You know, um, everywhere I looked, all I saw were walls caving in uh, during that time period. So um, you ask about the, uh, um, the resources, a peer group by far has been the most beneficial for me um, in, in navigating some of the storms that, uh, that, that, I've, that I've gone through. And then to, to tack on to your, your next question, what type of ecosystems need to be involved? Well, if you're talking about ecosystems, um, I like to break it down. You've got an ecosystem for your majority businesses and you've got an ecosystem for your minority businesses. They're different, okay? Because the needs are different for minority companies. Uh, uh, where they start from is a bit different than where some of your majority businesses um, uh, begin, You know, whether it's in term, terms of seed capital, whether in terms of access to technology, access to relationships and things like that. So, um, you know, I would like to see a more robust and intentional ecosystem for minority businesses. And I know Jumpstart is playing a huge role in trying to fill that gap out there. Other groups such as the President's Council, um, the Urban League and others, Growth Capital are, are doing some things that are more intentional and focused on the minority business community. And quite honestly, those, those intentional efforts have to be patient. Okay, and we have to also accept failure that will come through the system because not every business is gonna is gonna succeed. Mm. How do I see over there? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, so much of what Daryl is saying. I'm sitting here bopping my head up and down. So, I think for us, we definitely had a great response from other entrepreneurs when we were first starting out. That sat down with us, went to dinner with us. Um, and I'm talking entrepreneurs in a similar, if not same exact, you know, um, style of fitness as us, like other cycle instructors, but they were far enough across town. They felt that we were not. A threat. So I think they were, they were just very generous with it. But 
um, you know, I, I really appreciated that in the beginning because we had so many questions. So that that definitely I want to give a shout out to those people who helped us in the beginning, who sat down and shared um, what they knew about running a studio. Then I definitely think, you know, we, we did a lot. Like I said, we, we put in a lot from what we knew from our world, you know, my husband's world in fashion and in um, in directing uh, for MTV all prepared us for our media to be like top and our branding to be amazing, but Jumpstart, I think, and the 10,000 business program that my husband went through, they each were very instrumental in helping us fine tune um, the details around finance to understand, um, you know, even more so how to expand and really grow our business. And we always have very big ideas actually. And, um, you know, it's interesting that Daryl feels he, you know, he would like to see more minority business think in that kind of larger scape because that's how I feel we do, but yet I feel that we have not been rewarded for that. So, you know, my experience has been that there isn't a middle ground spot for entrepreneurs that actually are in a business that is succeeding, that is building over time, that is showing continuous growth and is thinking on a larger scale. It's as if we aren't connected enough to the community, the black community specifically, if we're thinking in that vein and we don't seem to be able to get the support financially that we're looking for. So I feel like there's been, you know, the incubators are amazing for a lot of the startup companies that are coming out the gate that need the computer, the van, they need all of these things and we need things too. But I've even been told that we don't show enough need sometimes um, or that we're not directly impacting the black community enough for people to want to give us money. So that kind of hurts. And I think it's been, I don't like to come in with a complaint and not a solution, but we are kind of stumped too. So just being really honest here, you know? Um, so what I would like to know is like, if we don't have the connections of some of the perceived white entrepreneurs that are coming out of these bigger schools that maybe have connections that we don't have, where do you fall then as an entrepreneur who doesn't show enough need or whose business isn't maybe necessarily directly um, related to activism? but is still causing an impact, creating an impact and still succeeding and still has big ideas. Where do we fall? Where do we get that support beyond the social media support or you know, how to build your, your hiring and things like that? Like those are all amazing and useful tools for entrepreneurs and they are necessary, but it's really about the funding beyond the banks to keep the business growing, to keep our vision as worldwide as we want it. No, all right, thank you, Angela. And there's a soapbox I want to go on based on what you said, because I wholeheartedly agree with your insight. Um, but before I do that, I want to give Frost a space to respond to my question. Uh, appreciate that. I, I definitely uh, agree with what Anjua and Daryl said in particular. Um, I think I have an outlying story, though, to be totally honest with you, where I started officially studying entrepreneurship, right? when I was 14 years old, coming from the Cleveland public school system, Whitney Young High School, um, we had the E-City program in my school. So that was something for me that I know was very impactful. You know, that was something that definitely helped me out was just, you know, being from a, you know, the blue collar city, being from a place to where a hustle is already just a natural part of the culture. I think, you know, understanding the art of entrepreneurship is naturally there for a lot of us in impoverished situations because we have to, you know, figure out how to make it work. And so we just do it in terms of, you know, with their art, but studying the science of entrepreneurship, studying the science of business and business modeling, I think is something that, you know, helped me out, especially along the journey of coming out of college to where we were able to participate in five of the top accelerators in the country um, you know, uh, along that journey of coming fresh out of college. And so, right, still being able to learn and just study how these things work and be able to study business modeling, I think was very impactful. And to y'all's point, um, you know, around the access to capital, that's, you know, why we started Bro Capital, of course, right? Because of the lack of 
you know, friends and the friends and family round. When we were when we were studying entrepreneurship and we were actually building this company, right? Everyone kept asking us, how much did you raise in your friends and family round? And I'm from the south side of Cleveland. He's from the south side of Chicago. And it's like friends and family round, what are you talking about? Right. We barely had enough money to drive here from Cleveland to Kentucky in the first place. Right. So, you know, that was a that was a glaring issue. And once we start talking about the wealth gap historically, traditionally, and where that's ultimately going, you know, it's um, that the, the lack of access to capital, of course, is exacerbated during these times. So I, I, I can wholeheartedly agree um, with 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 that sentiment and of course with those points. So I, I definitely think that's something that could help us out um, in this time. And also, I guess, learning the power of cooperative economics and how technology has allowed us to take those ancient philosophies and really bring them into modern times to leverage capital for business owners, particularly with bro capital is something that, you know, we're um, moving into expanding upon upon that that proprietary knowledge that we have and and really being the change that we want to see in community so that's my piece on that great so before i ask my second last question i'm gonna have to go on stubblefield soapbox for a minute um you know off top we see here when ross talks about his journey being an outlier and i think it was important he told his story was the things he was exposed to at 14 because he was in environments that believed it was worthy investing in, put him in positions to do things sooner in life that a lot of people aren't figuring out to their 30s, 40s, 50s, and there is no justifiable reason for that. Off top, so one of the things I wanna see the ecosystem do in addition to everything everybody else said, let's really start exposing and educating and engaging people sooner about what entrepreneurship can mean, not mean, what it's worth and not worth, even if they never decide to become entrepreneurs, they at least now can make more informed decisions and determine for themselves if entrepreneurship is for them or not, and not have that predetermined. If we can teach people to go get jobs all the time, we can talk and plan and still then the ability to go be a job creator too. And the second point, and this goes to another conversation Daryl and I had a long time ago, Sanjua, thank you for sharing your point about the frustration. Supporting black entrepreneurs is either going to be a true investment in inclusion or it's gonna to be toxic charity and we're seeing too much toxic charity. It's I'm looking for the most destitute cases to go, oh, let me support, let me support. The fact of the matter here is all black entrepreneurs, no matter what their class situation is, are still have structural barriers. And if you're gonna be about inclusion, that you need to recognize that and support period. Either you're really about supporting entrepreneurship and advancing black entrepreneurs, and getting the resources needing, knowing that we are in a separate and unequal ecosystem, or you're going to start, or, or or else you're going to, or else you're going to go ahead and say, fine, leave it alone. But the toxic charity mindsets on these programs are wrong. And whoever it was that told you, Angela, well, you're not needy enough to get help as black. I am personally offended for you because that was offensive. And by that mindset permeates the system and it has to stop if inclusion's going to exist. And so to end us on a more positive note, because I had to go on that soapbox, I wanna talk about now what's next for each of your respective businesses and how can the Cleveland community support? I wanna give people a solution on how they can support three amazing entrepreneurs here. Well, um, what I look for is I, I look to mentor folks, right? You know, I look to uh, uh, bring young folks through the system, um, internships, things like that. Uh, I do some work with BPA, bringing folks in through the uh, through the organization so they can learn the business. I can nurture them a little bit different than um, than they may get nurtured in another in another organization. Uh, so I look for those. I look for those opportunities, and I look for support. Okay, um, you know we're not a Fortune 100 company, Fortune 500 company. So you know, so they'll they'll need to be some support. But uh, but that is one way to groom folk because not everybody in the day is going to ultimately be an entrepreneur. But everybody, but they doesn't mean they can't work for an entrepreneur and help make an entrepreneur successful. Okay, so it's about exposure. And experience, so I, I I look for that. I look to continue to 
to mentor folks, to share my experiences, my journey uh, from where I came to to where I am today. And I think I have a lot to offer there. Um, and I'm not shy about talking about it. I'm not shy about talking about my failures over the years. And I'm not shy about talking about the successes. But I can tell you, I'm not there yet. Okay. Um, and there, there, there is, I'm in the, I'm fishing in the ocean. Okay. I've left the pool. I left the lake. I left the pond. I'm fishing in the ocean because it's about growth and it's about access to real capital for real growth. That's my journey. That's where I'm at. All right. Thank you. And Daryl is a wealth information and Daryl, how I'm going to support you. I'm working with the HBCU council and I'm working with Nesby junior chapter here in Cleveland. Excellent. You're welcome. I'll loop you in. Hey, let me just say, I'll say something to, to you and Raj, you know, you guys are Morehouse men, right? You know, and you, when you guys got your education at Morehouse, you know, you guys came out as leaders, okay? They, they, they teach you at Morehouse how to be leaders, okay? Take charge, take advantage. And uh, there's something to be said about that and something to be said about the HBCU system in general. And that's what they espouse to teach uh, uh, coming out of there. So I applaud both of you for reaching the successes that you've reached. And, uh, and I'm sure you can both attribute a lot of it to your uh, uh, undergraduate education at the house. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Daryl. Yep, and you're, you're absolutely right, man. Going to Morehouse College was, you know, hands down one of the top three decisions that I made, you know, in my life to date with, you know, certainly. So yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah definitely appreciate that. And that will lead to one of my last insights for today. But before we go there, Anjua, um, what's next for you and how can, the, how can the community help? So for GrooveRide, you know, as I said, we are, we are pivoting once again to create another platform for us. And we're excited about it and it continues to evolve, but we think we are really close to what it is that we want to take GrooveRide into um, in, in the next few years. Right now, though, what, what we could, it's just a straight call to action to come work out with us, honestly. It's to come in and experience Groove Ride, to um, check out our classes, to try something different if there's styles of classes that you've maybe never done before. Because I really, you know, I we created a service for people to enjoy fitness, but I am not going to be shy about saying I would love to see more black and brown faces in my studios. Um, if you are an instructor, <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. If you are an instructor, like send us an email. Like we really want to, we really want to see that um, in our spaces. So, you know, that that's my call to action. And, and my ask of the community is to check us out online. If you don't want to come into the space, we have plenty of options for you to not even have to come into the space um, at prices that, uh, you know, we feel are super reasonable, but are going to offer incredibly quality classes with good music and a lot of fun. Um, you know, movement is medicine to us. So if you are feeling like you need a shift, you need a change, start with the body first, not about losing weight, but about shifting that energy, opening up your mind, expanding. Oh, wonderful. All right. Thank you. And hey, everybody, she's hiring. You literally just, what you literally told somebody told you they're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ross. Uh, so yeah, you know, similar to Andre, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna hit you with the call to action as well is uh, certainly check out our website, um, www.bro, B-R-E-A-U-X, and that's all caps, capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Um, check us out. And, and I think we have a, a pretty extensive web experience. So check out the frequently asked questions page for sure, because we did our best to, you know, make that as comprehensive as possible um, and keep everything simple. All right. And for that, I want to thank everybody for their time. And as Ron's last takeaway here, you know, I want us to remember this loyalty, royalty, and entrepreneurship is in our DNA. You, whatever inspires you, know that there are, is a community of people here to work with you help you get to where you need to be and to hold the system accountable, making sure that they recognize and respect our worth as people. And with that, thank you everybody for your time. Thank you for the series and look forward to engaging you all in whatever places make sense. And with that, thank, thank you all so very much. Thank you, Jay, TC, and the rest of the crew for letting us host us today at WOVU. Thank you as well to our friends at Jumpstart for helping us celebrate Black History Month. Check out what Jumpstart has to offer entrepreneurs here in Cleveland 
by visiting them online at jumpstart.org slash W-O-V-U or call 216-363-3400. Be sure to tune in to Jumpstart Fridays every week at 10 a.m. right here on W-O-V-U 95.9 FM, Burton Bell Car Community Radio.